Hi. Hi I'm Chris. All right, I've heard that I have to have to use this, and I will apologize in advance because I'm not good at staying in one place, but I'm going to try. So, um, I am Kristen. I, my husband and I have been in Charlotte, married at New City in pretty quick succession for about 15 years. Um, I have two daughters. They are um, in fourth grade and first grade. They are a delight, and they're in fourth grade and first grade. So we're busy in our house. Um, I think that covers me. Um, I am excited to be here and have a chance to see you all and spend some time with you. So pop quiz. I'm going to go ahead and warn you that I like you to talk back to me. Hopefully that we can get on board with that. Um, so first thing, do you, any of you remember our summary state? I think this thing works. Yes, it's flashing lights at me, so I'm, yes, the down button is downing. I mean, I like to move, but maybe not this much. <laughs> okay, great. Well, in the meantime, pop quiz. Does anybody remember the theme summary statement? I had a semi-cheat. There we go. See, look, a cheat sheet for you. Um, this is our summary theme statement. Anybody, let's try to fill this in together. Do you remember this? Is this something that... Y'all are using on Wednesday nights. Okay, good. Because we're using it on Tuesday mornings. God is the and uh huh hero of our story, and He defines our identity and invites us into lives of influence. Great. Are we gonna y'all? <laughs> no, it's still not going. Okay, well, there, so now we're filling it in. There you go, there you go. Okay, so, and then we have been summarizing that in four statements, author, hero, identity, and influence. Two things about God, who he is and what he does. Two things about us, who we are and what we do. Um, so, let's take a minute and um, since I mean, I'm pretty sure we're all on the same page between Tuesday morning and Wednesday night, but just to make sure that we all know where we are, um, let's recap real quick. Let's think about last week we had kind of the standalone week of um, Kinsman Redeemer. And so let's kind of think back again to where we are in the story of Ruth. Um, Ruth has gleaned in a field that happened to be Boaz's field. Um, he provided abundantly more than she could have asked for or imagined. He provided physical provision of safety in his field, um, extra food at mealtimes, a larger portion of grain that she would have otherwise expected to take home, um, and the security of continuing to glean in his field. Um, he, she continued to come back to his field. Um, and where we left off at the end of chapter two is that we discover that Boaz is um, a near relative one of their redeemers, and Naomi is encouraging Ruth to continue gleaning in his field, to stay there because she knows that Ruth will be safe there. Um, and so 
during that section, I think Christine was the one who was teaching for you guys that week, she talked about this concept of um, hesed, this concept of love, loving loyalty, of loyal love, of kindness. Um, and then last week, um, Andrea was teaching last week on kinsman redeemer. And I think we really see these two ideas, this concept of the hesed and the concept of the kinsman redeemer coming together in our passage tonight in chapter three. Um, so here's our bottom line for tonight. The thing that we should have our, in our minds as we're talking, um, it is this, that Jesus, oh, look, I had a definition. There you go. Well, Michael Card, he wrote a book. Oh, <laughs> see, this is what happens when you don't have a clicker. You just get going and, yeah. Um, Michael Card, he is a delightful singer-songwriter, also has written a handful of lovely books, and one of them is on um, the word. The entire book is on the word um, said, and it is called Inexpressible. If you ever want to do an insanely deep dive on this concept, I'd encourage you to pick it up. But he defines it this way, that um, Hesed is when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. when the person from whom I have a right to expect nothing gives me everything. And we see that in Boaz. Ruth really didn't have any expectations that she would gain anything other than going into his field and he has given her so much. And we see that concept showing over and over again. Okay, so in chapter three, we are seeing this kind of marriage of the idea of the kinsman redeemer and um, Hesed. And our bottom line now, maybe, there we go, um, is that Jesus is the hero of our story. That's coming straight from our um, summary theme statement here. And his said leads us to confident submission and courageous action. So let's get started by diving real quick. Like I'm saying diving as if we have forever because we could spend a long time in this passage, but we're not going to. We're going to do a quick recap of our passage. Um, we are in chapter 3, verse 1 through 13, so if you have your scripture or your phone or whatever you read the Bible on with you, I'd love for you to pull it out. Um, chapter 3, verse 1. Um, so here's the part, well, we already did some interaction part, but here's another part where I'd love to hear from you all as you've read this. Um, we start in verse 1, and Naomi says, what? What are we? What is she asking or instructing Ruth on? Yeah. And the thing I find fascinating about this here in verse one is Naomi's desire for Ruth hasn't changed. So if you go back to chapter one, where she is trying to send off her daughters-in-law in the middle of this journey, she's saying, um, "May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage." And now we're back to that same concept here. And the interesting thing to me is not only that she still has the same prayer, but um, she's going to answer her own prayer. She is going to give Ruth a method, a means for securing a marriage. Um, and I think it is interesting to see in Ruth's story how time and time again, we see how human decisions, human actions, seem to coincide and merge with God's plan to bring about the salvation and redemption that we know is coming. Um, and so whether consciously or unconsciously, Naomi is taking some initiative 
that is going to ultimately result in the answer to her prayer that she's had for Ruth all along. So what are the instructions that she gives to Ruth? What are, the, what are kind of the highlights that she tells Ruth to do in these verses one through four? First, she tells her that she reiterates that Boaz is a close relative, that he's been kind, that tonight he's going to be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. And what is she, what is the, that first, if you happen to have your scripture, you can look right there in verse three. What is that first instruction he gives her? Or she gives her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Get ready to go out. Yeah. So um, some of the uh, studying commentaries I did seem to think that this is the, there's potential here in the language to indicate that she is asking Ruth to remove mourning garments and make herself presentable in a way that would indicate to others that she was available for marriage. Um, again, this is kind of an in interpretation that was given, and it seems, seems good. Um, and then she, so she instructs her to get ready to go out, and then what? She instructs her to... Okay, yeah. The thread. Go ahead, keep going. No, keep going. Eating and drinking, yeah. Yeah. I keep your eye on Boaz. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, that is what she's telling her to do. And if you look, if you look farther down, how she, um, she goes down to the threshing floor and, and follows the instructions. And she's hanging out there while Boaz is having this meal and, and so this, the, there's indication that there's time that's passed from the end of chapter 2 where um, it says, through the wheat harvest in early summer. So there's an indication that time has passed. She spent some time in the, in the um, fields gleaning, and she now, they're now coming to the harvest time, which is a time of great celebration. So it is not unusual for them to go down to the threshing floor to um, winnow out their barley and their wheat and their grain and then to celebrate with a meal at the end. Um, and let's see if we have, there should be a picture in there somewhere. Okay, so this is a threshing floor. Um, and this is actually a modern threshing floor in Greece, but it is actually not changed a whole lot from ancient times. Um, you can find I found lots of pictures of very overgrown versions of this. So I thought this was more interesting because this is actually a threshing floor that is in use. You can see um, the chaff and the leftovers on the outside of the floor. You can see the stalks of um, wheat and straw and things piled, probably would have been used for animals and things like that. Um, and then you can, uh, I don't know how well you can see from your angle, but right there in the middle, teeny tiny little pile of grain. And so this is where she would have been going um, when we think about Boaz going to sleep out there. This is where he would have been sleeping. And this is removed from the village. It would have been situated in an area to take um, advantage of the evening breeze because they're tossing the stuff in the air and letting the breeze carry away the lighter stuff, which is why it's all on the outside there. Um, so this is the kind of place where Ruth is going. And she goes... He has had his meal. Um, the scriptures says was in good spirits. There's no indication that he is anything other than full and happy. Um, 
there's no indication that he's had too much to drink. He just think about after a nice good meal, a hard day of work, you are full and sleepy and about to lay down. And this is the situation that Boaz is in. So he lays down to go to sleep. Um, and Ruth comes and does some weird things. <laughs> I mean, just in our context, we have no frame of reference for what's happening here. There's some indication that this is clearly a marriage proposal. There is also some indication that it is a little unusual. Um, whatever the case may be. But they're just blind kids. They're not doing it. No. No. <laughs> and I'll tell you what. You, I will tell you what. This is something that I ran across a lot in my studying, and it was good to kind of wrap my brain around. In the original language, there is a lot of suggestive language in this. A lot. However, it appears to be a literary device. Because if you look at Ruth from the, con from the um, eyes of an ancient reader, this is a story. So he's, the, the narrator is keeping interest, like, ooh, what's going to happen? We're building some intrigue here. Like, there's some sketchy stuff happening. But when you consider the broader context of Ruth, when you consider um, how much Boaz's character has been held up. When you consider how much Ruth's character has been held up, it is highly unlikely that anything actually happened. Um, but it is strange. It is strange. So she, um, she has kind of waded off to the side. He's laid down and gone to sleep. Um, there's a little bit of providence in here that he seems to have laid down in an area kind of removed from anybody else that might have been around so that she can do this strange thing in private um, without anybody that sees her. Um, so she lays down, she uncovers his feet, lays down, um, and sometime around midnight, it says, he suddenly wakes up. Is it that he realized his feet were cold and woke up? Is it that somewhere in his half awake, half asleep, between dream cycles, state, he realizes somebody's there. If you're a mom, you know how weird it is whenever you realize that your child is standing next to you at the bed at 2 o'clock in the morning, and you're like, what happened? So maybe that happened. Maybe he suddenly realized someone was there. Whatever the case may be, he wakes up, and he notices that there is, and if you look at the scripture, it says, um, a woman. She doesn't even have a name. So again, adding to the intrigue and the anonymity of this, like there's a woman at his feet and he says, who are you and where did you come from? He says, who are you? And Ruth says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your covering over me for you are my family redeemer. And I think it's, um, there are two things I think are really fascinating here. One, she doesn't qualify herself as anything other than your servant. For a lot of Ruth, she is Ruth the Moabite, or Ruth the foreigner, or Ruth the blank. Here she's saying, I am Ruth, your servant. She's kind of made this shift in how she is identifying. Um, and then the second thing is the spread, the corner of your covering over me. Um, that he, this is echoing the words that Boaz gave in chapter 2, verse 12, when he says to her, um, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, 
reward you fully for what you have done. The same kind of language here. And this is, in fact, a marriage proposal. She's asking him to marry her. Um, and again, here we are seeing a place where the people in our story seem to coincidentally be in a position to answer, to be the answer to their own prayer. You think about Boaz's blessing and prayer that um, about her coming to take refuge under the wings of the Lord, and um, that she be fully rewarded for that. Well, now she's asking to be covered by, and in some translations, it's um, covered by the wing of his garment, and to be redeemed. And that is a pretty big reward, is to be redeemed. So, um, and then Boaz answers her, says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You're showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. So that family loyalty, I'm reading out of the NLT, by the way. Um, that word family loyalty is, the, is another occurrence of Hesed. Um, and that, so he's saying you're showing more Hesed than you did before, which seems to be a reference to when she made the decision to follow Naomi all the way back to Bethlehem. Um, and it's, and then he goes on to say to her, um, you haven't gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter, for I will do what's necessary. Everyone in the town knows you're a virtuous woman. So Ruth is referred to here as a virtuous woman. And again, this is the same language that was used to describe Boaz at the beginning of chapter two when he says he was a worthy man. So um, uh, theologian Robert Hubbard um, says that this suggests that Ruth's exemplary conduct has earned her a status as Boaz's peer here. They're, they're being said to have the same kind of character. They're being kind of elevated in the same place. And I'm sorry, I don't have that one on the screen. Um, but then comes verses 12 and 13, and we get a plot twist. And the plot twist is, does anybody remember? There's someone closer. Now that begs the question, did they know this? Like when Ruth and Naomi, when Naomi specifically is hatching their plot, did they know? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, we don't know. But for whatever reason, Naomi thinks that Boaz is the man who's going to satisfy um, the requirements. And Hubbard again says that this additional obstacle enhances the work of providence. So again, this narrator is building the suspense. What's going to happen? Is it going to work out? Um, as a way for us to see that even in the midst of all these human choices and decisions and interactions, there is God at work. So Boaz continues his honor and integrity. He intends to redeem her right away, whether um, by confronting this other closer relative and having him redeem her or by doing it himself. One way or another, the situation is going to be solved um, quickly. And he tells her to spend the night. And that, again, in our modern minds, sounds a little sketchy, like having a young unmarried woman spending the night out in the field with you. Like, sounds a little weird. Um, we are to read this as him protecting her because the reality is, Celebration harvest, people eating and drinking. Can you imagine what state some of the men who are in and around this area in the fields might be in? Um, can you imagine a young, apparently has presented herself as eligible woman walking in the middle of the night, the kind of danger she could have been in? 
So we are intended to read this as another way of him protecting her and providing for her and offering her, um, offering her safety. And um, again, another interesting thing that I have noticed here is that his integrity allows her to sleep in peace and safety because one way or another, she and Naomi will be taken care of. And what did Naomi wish for her at the beginning? In the ESV, um, it's translated as, I, it's time that I found you a place of rest. And so I think it's very interesting to see that Naomi is longing for safety and security and stability for Ruth. And we're closing out this section with Boaz offering her that very thing. Um, so when we read the Old Testament historical narrative, like we have discovered, it's weird and it's strange and we don't really have a context for it. And it's hard to put ourselves into these people's shoes, to imagine ourselves in the story or to see um, how any of this might relate to us 21st century readers. But when we remember that Boaz is pointing us forward to Jesus, I think the doors of application become wide open to us. So let's refresh our memory that Jesus is the hero of our story. We aren't Boaz in this story as much as we'd like to be. We aren't even Ruth in this story. We are Naomi. Like Naomi, we are utterly destitute and we are unable to save ourselves. Jesus alone is the one who can redeem us. He is the only one who can pull us out of the debt that we have to sin. He's the only one who can contend for us. And I love this word. I love this word contend. I'm a words person, so I love this word contend um, because it means to strive in order to win something. So, in, so Jesus alone is the one who can stand up to this enormous debt of sin and win us back from it. And our only hope, our only hope is to throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and beg him to rescue us. So that leads us to one area of application that um, because of his said, we can confidently submit to him. Um, yes, it is Ruth is Tate and Naomi are taking a risk in approaching Boaz. Um, but I imagine that she actually was able to do it somewhat confidently because of the kindness that Boaz had already shown to her. He already gave her so much more than she asked. And we can submit ourselves to Jesus with that same confidence that he will come to our aid. Why? Because of the said Jesus has already showed us. While we were still sinners, while we were foreigners, while we were outsiders, Christ died for us. He moved towards us in abundant, loving kindness long before we ever took a step towards him. Michael Card, again, says that we have no right to expect anything from him, the Holy One, yet he has extended himself to us and has invited us to enter his world, has made, us, made our story a part of his story. So our closest relation, Hebrews 4.16, 4, tells us that he came in our likeness, experienced our struggles and our temptations. Our closest um, relation came so that we can, the verse continues, confidently approach the throne of grace to find mercy and help in our time of need. And that requires humility from us. Um, it requires that we self surrender our self-centeredness. Um, if you are a new city attender, you've been hearing on Sunday morning, self-centeredness and self-righteousness, both things are the same 
different sides of the same coin. It requires that we surrender these things and um, humbly approach Jesus. Um, so we can confidently surrender to Jesus, and in doing so, we will find the rest that we seek. The same, um, the same language that we have in the covering over of the Lord's rings and the covering over of the garment we find in Psalm 91. The psalmist um, echoes that language when he says, he, uh, speaking of God, he says, He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. So we can confidently surrender to Jesus, confident that we will find rest, we will find stability and security and peace and rescue. So when we surrender to Jesus, when we are submitting our lives to him, when we are invited into a bigger story than our own, um, we're invited to join him in his kingdom work. We are invited to contend for others and to become agents of his, of his, his said in this world. So his has said leads us to courageous action. So let's take a minute and look for a moment at how people are courageously contending for others as agents of the Lord's has said in our story. We see it in Naomi when she's contending for Ruth's security and stability when she sends Ruth to Boaz. We see Ruth contend for Naomi. Um, if you'll notice, Naomi's instructions do not tell her to ask Boaz to be their redeemer. He says, she says to lay down at his feet and he'll tell you what to do. So Ruth takes that step forward, takes a little initiative and says, um, will you marry me and rescue my family? Um, so Ruth is condemning for, contending for Naomi when she humbly goes before Boaz and makes her petition. And Boaz is contending for both Ruth and Naomi together when he promises to take care of them one way or another. So what do they all have in common? They have in common courage and humility and sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but um, I'm not going out to, say, an unreached people group in the jungle where I might be murdered for sharing the gospel. Anybody? No. no. Okay. So how can we, in our everyday life, how can we courageously contend for others? So let's start with a definition of courage real quick. Courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and there's a glare. You know what? It's in my notes. Um, thank you. I'm, nope, glare that way too. Okay, so courage is the mental or moral strength to venture, persevere, and withstand danger, fear, or difficulty. We have an enemy who is out to steal and kill and destroy. He would love nothing more than to make sure um, that you or anyone around you does not make it to the feet of Jesus. So, anytime we are praying or sharing scripture, anytime we're having a conversation about how our lives look different because of Jesus, anytime we're standing up for someone who's being treated unfairly, anytime we're seeking justice or peace or kindness, um, in our dealings with others, anytime we are living humbly and sacrificially pointing others to Jesus in a world that is screaming um, a self-centered story, you better believe that you are courageously contending for others. But remember this, you can't save. You are not the hero of this story. I am not the hero of this story. Jesus is the hero of this story. Jesus 
with his steadfast and unwavering loyal love toward us sinners who can never save ourselves is the hero of this story. Jesus, who is the only perfect and worthy redeemer, is the hero of this story. And because of his said, we can confidently surrender and courageously take action. So, let's pray. Father, we are grateful for this time together. We are grateful for your word. We are grateful for stories that sometimes don't make sense, but still somehow show us Jesus. We pray that we would um, always see and seek him, that our eyes would always be turned towards him, that our lives would always reflect him. Be with us as we have conversations together. Um, may the words of our mouths and the thoughts and the focus of our hearts together be pleasing to you um, because we love you. And it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Thanks for letting me join you.